0: Today's episode of Mission Impact is a little different. To celebrate my two year Pottyversary, I'm doing another best of episode. Today's Pottyversary episode focuses on leadership transitions, a topic that has been the focus of several interviews. We'll be hearing from Elizabeth Wolf, Carlin Madden, Don Tebby, and Andy Robinson. We talk about the type of transitions that organizations experience and how different leaders approach those transitions, why it's so important for leaders to make space and groom the next generation, and whether or not having an interim executive director is a good idea, and how those exiting the leadership role and those entering as new leaders can prepare themselves for their next chapter. Mission Impact is a podcast for nonprofit progressive leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers. And all of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Leadership transitions come in all shapes and sizes. A lot of factors will go into what type of transition the organization is facing. One of those is the attitude of the leader. The others include the life stage of the nonprofit. Is it a startup in a growth spurt? Is this the first transition from the organization's founder? Has there been ongoing transition on the board side, not just the staff side of the organization? Don Tebby is a leading expert in nonprofit leadership transitions and with Tom Adams, in many ways, founded the field of executive transition management. He's also written several books on the subject, and we can link to those in the show notes. He talks about what inspired him to focus on this aspect of nonprofit management.
1: In fact, I did some research for one of my books on callings, and I was trying to figure out why was I attracted to this, to this uh, nonprofit sector work. But it just seemed like a great place to really to do work that's meaningful. And that's one of the things I discovered in, in doing the research on callings is that everybody has this innate desire for a meaningful life. Tom and I put together this program, two-day retreat called Next Steps, particularly targeting founders and long-term executive directors, because those those are some of the can be some of the most problematic transitions out there. And I think it's just it's a space where governance, executive leadership, and all come together in, in one moment. And so I think it's a, a great opportunity to really kind of address all three of those, those prongs. Also kind of the organizational capacity. When we realized that we needed to be working with organizations earlier before they hit that moment of transition. So that led us into the succession planning work. What are the characteristics of these high volatility organizations? You know, those organizations where you walk in the front door and you can just feel it. You can feel the energy, the excitement, the commitment, the impact. And what's, what was going on in those organizations came up with this kind of three tiers that base level, there's organizational stability the, the vital signs that are okay. It's not at risk. It's not in the you know, intensive care ward. The next level up was what I would call sustainability. And then you know, layering on top of that you know, was vitality. And so you really have to, I think, you have to address both the executive and board leadership. That board hires the executive. The board is
0: responsible for shepherding the mission and shepherding impact. Leadership transitions really do impact all aspects of the organization and are an opportunity to take stock of how leadership is being shared or not across the organization between the board and executive director, between the executive director and staff. And I appreciated Andy Robinson's challenge to organizations and their leaders. His question goes to the heart of thinking about, planning for, and preparing for transitions and normalizing the process instead of thinking of it as an anomaly.
2: One of the things I ask people is, how long will it take to win? And they're like, what? And I say, how long will it take for you to change the world so effectively that the work of your organization is no longer necessary. Like what's your exit strategy? Now we should acknowledge many organizations are perpetual organizations, hospitals, universities, some of these institutions should be around forever. I totally get that. A lot of groups are trying to solve a problem and go out of business. So my first question is how long will it take for you to win? Then I say, are you gonna be here for the victory party? And of course (laughs) everybody laughs and said, no, I'm not gonna be around that long. And then I say to them, if you are not actively grooming the next generation of leadership for your organization right now, by definition, you are failing at your mission,
0: by definition. If you are not grooming the next generation of leadership for your organization right now, by definition, you are failing at your mission. This is a real call to action for leaders because very few, in my experience, are really putting this front and center as they lead their organization or their movement. To dig deeper into how different people approach their leaving, Don Tebby has a reflection on the different common styles people take.
1: The hero's farewell. And he outlined four different character, four different profiles. Ambassadors, people that could leave the organization gracefully or even have a continuing role with the organization, and everything's going to be just fine. Governors who went on to other big jobs and kind of left the organization behind and so forth. Monarchs, they are going to be carried out feet first. Stewards, what I see most of in, in the nonprofit world, people that can leave gracefully, and uh, but not necessarily have a continuing role with the organization. So I encourage the, the, the departing executives to think of themselves as stewards, and they're going to hand off the organization to the next steward.
0: For those starting to think about their exit from le- leadership, which of these avatars will you embody? Will you be a monarch, an ambassador, a governor, or a steward? And how ready is the organization for, as a whole for change? How are you cultivating shared and new leadership on your staff and board? And without this, the board, who is charged with finding the new leader, can be ill-equipped for the responsibility, as Elizabeth Wolf explains. If the board is still firmly
3: entrenched in what used to be, they're not going to be as effective. That can be a real recipe for disaster because then you have you know someone coming in new and fresh as a leader who wants to take the organization to the next level or in a different direction and the board is stuck when I do board you know coaching and board development it's really to view boards on an ever expanding kind of continuum where they go from this working board as they commonly are in the very beginning like sheep following the leader to something that becomes what's more appropriate for a later iteration of the organization where they become a governing board. And it's a completely different set of
0: skills. Andy Robinson echoes Elizabeth's points.
2: You and I have both worked with boards where there's been board members on the board for 20 or 30 years. Term limits is a whole nother thing here that we can be thinking about in terms of a succession plan is that even if the staff leadership turns over, you still have the same people on the board with the same set of assumptions and the same story that goes back to 1993 about why we should be doing this.
0: Don advocates for the staff leader to take the reins in planning their exit. You need to take
1: responsibility. You need to take responsibility for your departure and your exit plan. And then I go try to clarify that doesn't mean usurping the board's authority and trying to force in your handpicked successor uh, uh, on, on the one hand, nor does it mean dumping everything in the board's lap, Getting the board to engage in conversations about what kind of governance relationship do they want with this new executive, mm-hmm. paying attention to how that, that handoff and making sure that the, the critical relationships get handed off, that there's briefing materials for the new executive.
0: Carlin Madden explains some of the work her search firm does to prepare the groundwork for these needed changes. On the front end,
4: we are not just reviewing key documents to get a sense of the lay of the land or what does the last audit say and all of those sorts of things, but also we are surveying board members, key staff members, or membership associations, the actual members of the association, key volunteers, possibly even program participants. We're talking to funders. We're doing, so maybe survey, we're doing one-on-one phone calls. We're doing listening sessions. It's going to depend on what the organization needs are, how recently they've done similar things. And we're trying to learn what was what was really stellar about the last position, person in this position, what were some of the key achievements? What do you think is next? What's on the horizon? What hasn't been paid attention to that needs to? Often staff culture is a big ease. So I think we're really going through a tumultuous time. Rightly so, in my opinion. Where staff are much more vocal about what they're going to need from their next leader.
0: She also comments on what often has been missing from how boards approach executive searches hasn't
4: been happening, particularly in the equity piece, the racial equity or gender justice or whatever these different you know, different elements that affect individual organization. And this is their time to be able to lift and surface that. And for the board to be able to hear that in an objective way, that's not the, the theses banged on the front door that says we're demanding change or we are unionizing because our rights are being infringed upon.
0: As we heard before, Andy Robinson pointed out the mission critical aspect of grooming the next generation and preparing a leadership pipeline. And we talked about some specific actions that leaders can take to start that process.
2: One thing you should do is look at your task list and try and hand off, I don't know, one task a week, two tasks a week. And I don't mean pardon me, Carol, I don't mean the menial stuff. I mean, substantive stuff. I mean, if you're doing all the data entry and you hand that off to somebody else, sure, that's lovely, but that's not building their skill set. So that's one thing they could do is actually look at what you do and say, is there stuff that I can delegate reasonably, appropriately, without burdening other people, but also takes me out of the center. When I'm building an agenda and I'm figuring out who's going to lead what section of the agenda, I want multiple people leading different parts of the agenda because the ability to, to run a meeting, facilitate a conversation is a leadership skill. Don't be a perfectionist. And there's the classic thing you see is that you have a leader who wants it done their way. And often somebody else has a different way of doing it that is different, but could be just as effective or differently effective or weaker in some ways, but stronger in ways that your way isn't. I think that's a succession planning strategy too, is if you're a leader, how do you take up less space so that other people can occupy that space?
0: One thing I would say to every leader You can start creating more space for others to lead with one really simple yet challenging act. Simply do not be the first person to speak in a discussion. Wait a beat. Wait two beats. Even if it feels awkward to be in the silence, let others step in and share their perspective before you. If you always go first, and you may not even be aware you're doing that, most likely, everyone around you will be sharing in reaction to and in light of your contribution. I observe so many leaders dominating the conversation and not realizing the impact they're having. By doing so, they're leaving a lot of good thinking on the table from those around them. If you feel super awkward, tell people you're going to do this and have them hold you accountable. And if you try this, I'd love to hear some results from your experiments. And as Elizabeth pointed out, your leadership pipeline doesn't have to only be inside your organization. You can be looking to cultivate leadership with those in your wider ecosystem.
3: If it's that kind of organization that, you know, has a leadership pipeline, it could be that. But most often in larger organizations, yes, that is more typical. But in smaller organizations, there's not enough people working there for it to really be an appropriate way of organizing succession. But it is always kind of nice, and, and I encourage organizations to do this, to have sort of a, a running list of people that they have in their orbit that could be either someone that they consider in, in a search, or someone who they, they would consider to be part of a search committee, who knows the organization well enough
0: and who's connected enough. Carlin also talks about how those wider networks and ecosystems are so important for effective searches, as well as tapping into a variety of networks.
4: Higher by hire and talks about some of the survey data on executive leadership in the nonprofit sector has not changed in the last 20 years, right? The demographic have not actually changed. And so what is required is, are that the conditions of executive search have to change. We're very firm in the transparency for all of our clients. I'm really thinking about building, not thinking, actually building out networks, multiracial network, leveraging affinity group, having open exchange with clients, recognizing that often. often. Often leaders of color don't have those sponsors or, you know, when we are reaching out to folks saying, who do you know in this space that would be a good executive director? Because there are so many white people in the sector in top leadership roles, our networks are very homogenous. If a transition committee is hiring an executive director and says only executive directors can apply for this, well, what we know to be true about the field is that there are fewer executive directors of color than white executive directors. And so we're already starting to limit the pool.
0: Carlin also talks about the differentiation process of what is essential for the executive director or leadership role and what is there because of the current person in the role what's his pet
4: project right the organization has been shaped around his identity and in many ways it's been really successful his vision has helped propel this organization to really incredible heights in a very small period of time short period of time but there are also things their are pet projects and the board recognizes it to some extent but not necessarily the full extent so that was the focus of our conversation yesterday but it was really helpful just to identify like there are some things that only he can do and only he wants to do and so the next executive director might even bring their own pet projects and that's okay
0: Interim executive directors is something that organizations going through a transition should consider as an option. There are consultants who do nothing but interim work and bring can bring their experience to your organization. But our experts were not totally in agreement about interims and their value. The transition
3: period in an organization, especially when they're losing a position like a founder, it's crucial to to build in some kind of space where everyone can experience what that feels like before embarking on the next I almost always recommend that they consider hiring an interim for that reason. And, and especially with, with a founder and a founder that might have been with the organization for a very long time, it's a big change. It's like when you bake cookies and you know, or and when you make pancakes and and the first pancake just doesn't turn out well. It's like that. If you hire someone too quickly, that first pancake just might not turn out that well. And that's unfortunate because then the organization is once again plunged into a period of transition, which is not really healthy or something I'd recommend. The statistics about, you know, especially following a founder for new leaders coming in and not being successful is really shocking. So the interim can really be that bridge very successfully for all of the reasons that you just outlined. It's like a palate cleanser. It's a a good thing to try the most formative of those relationships. But, you know, when you have relationships with funders, when those people have those relationships that are very closely held, there's a lot of insecurity and instability that can affect the organization adversely if it's not handled correctly and oftentimes that's the best reason to have an interim because that person can focus on those relationships otherwise it's you know a board member or maybe a a secondary staff person that might not be as comfortable relationship building and relationship cultivating as as the leader was and it could be really debilitating
1: for the organization. I was listening to your interview with Liz Wolf, and I take a little bit different tack about the idea of, of interim executive being kind of the standard approach for an organization. Now, that was the, that is the experience in, in many religious domes. For a lot of organizations, it just doesn't work. You know, you, you've got fundraising relationships that you need hand off, or you've got key government contract relationships that you need to hand off. And you know, having 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 an interim in there and doing that handoff twice, you know, just 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 doesn't seem to work.
0: Carlin and I talked about the danger of a new executive director becoming an accidental interim, especially if they're founding following a founder or a long term ED
4: is that executive director going to be the person that hands over the keys or is that person going to need to use an interim executive director in order to facilitate that transition and we're dealing with people so every person is different every organization is different because of that person i can't say there's one right way to do it but often an interim executive director after founder is a good idea because this person can help steward and steer the organization's operation and help clean up you know it's not like there's a messes necessarily but, but be able to implement some new systems, be able to identify if there are staff members that need to be promoted, if there are staff members that have outgrown their position, they can do some of that quote unquote dirty work before the next executive director come in. We commonly say there's sort of this accidental interim that often follows a founder, somebody that is in that role for about 18 months. And you don't want that. You want the next person to follow the founder to be there for a much longer term, maybe not another 30 years, but you know, five, 10 years, be able to take the organization through its next cycle of opportunity. The,
0: the glass Cliff—not the, just the glass ceiling, but the glass mm-hmm. cliff of being offered you know, women, women of color, especially being offered the the impossible job—and yeah, then exactly. people wondering why they couldn't. There's
4: a, where women are called in to clean out a mess and then have an impossible job out of them, and then are their performance is managed in a way that is not commensurate with the with the opportunity ahead, right, or the challenge ahead. So.
0: We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com resources. We're back on Mission Impact. As Don points out, it's never too early to start thinking about transitions and succession. It's not just a process to follow or a set of steps. In William Bridges' works on transition, he describes three phases that people go through. The ending, the neutral zone, and the beginning. In our action-oriented culture, we often think we can jump directly from ending to the new beginning. The liminal or in-between space of the neutral zone can catch us off guard. It's messy and confusing. And all through the transition, you can feel like you're on an emotional roller coaster. Don describes how this impacts leaders.
1: The executive really should drive, initiate the succession uh, process. And rather than the board initiating it on their behalf, they were shocked and surprised by how emotional the process was for them. That was something that really caught them off guard. So you probably can't start too early. You know, we were focusing on primarily trying to get to people, you know, four, three to four to five years ahead of their departure. A lot of times executives are confused about their role in in the transition process and the succession process. To me, there's no ambiguity. You got three jobs. Job number 1 lead the organization through the transition of course but understand that that role is going to evolve as your departure date draws closer. Job number 2 is to prepare yourself for that next chapter of life like if you're going to retire you know have something magnetic that's drawing you forward rather than a job that you're leaving. And job number 3 is to prepare the organization for the succession and transition process.
0: Don talks about how many leaders are caught by surprise by the emotional element of the transition. And I would add, everyone in the organization is going through their own emotional roller coaster, too. Don tells a story that really il- illustrates this point.
1: He was kind of rethinking his departure date, and his longtime, well seasoned deputy just up and quit. Said, you know, look, I'm I'm done with this. You know, you're you're never going to leave this organization. I'm going to go do something else. Uh, I think gave some notice, but you know, you know what I mean. It it really upset the apple cart, and I think it also people feel kind of whipsawed. It can be a real stew for the staff and ripe for people. Your some of your best people to, you know, look elsewhere because they're you know that they. Questioning their career, the future with the organization. And, you know, and there's always questions anyway. You know, will we like the new executive? Can we trust the board to pick the right person for the job?
0: I appreciate Don's comment about the leader preparing themselves for the next step. In our conversation, Andy described his own process of succession and transition into retirement. I feel like if I step
2: back, there's more room for others to step up. And jobs that I am not accepting and I am referring out to other people are jobs that I don't get anymore because it's okay. I have enough, I've had enough work. I don't need to do it much longer. But I'm also supporting and training and helping other people who want to enter this space, and that feels good to me. So this is my personal succession plan. And I can't say I wrote it down, but it's something I've thought about for years, and I've been implementing it step by step. And the latest step is for me to work less and be more assertive about pushing jobs out to other people, especially folks who are new to consulting. I'm sending a lot more work to BIPOC consultants, Black, Indigenous, people of color, as a way of supporting social justice and equity.
0: Carlin and I explored what emerging leaders can do to get ready for an executive director role and what boards need to do to really set the new leader up for success.
4: If you're an aspiring ED, this is your time to shine. But, but if you're a board, know that that it's going to be very competitive to get the right person. And so you might walk away with the perfect person, but you might be offering it to a couple different people. We've had a couple scenarios just in the last few months where someone's accepted a job offer, been in the situation where they're, they're negotiating parallel job offers. And you have to be willing to make some, some adjustments to your timeline, to the amount of money that you have on the table, all sorts of things. If somebody is looking to ascend into an executive director role. The board is paying very close attention to how much fundraising experience they have or what is their external facing experience? What are the technology needs that they're going to have? What are the key people that they need to meet in the first week? How are they? Let's go ahead and set up meetings with the board members so that that's all done for them. You know, they like walk in, they open their calendar and they're like, great. I meet Jim for lunch next Tuesday. And Jill and Joni are going to be a happy hour. We also do is 30, 60, 90 days check-ins with both the incoming executive director and the board chair.
0: The topic of transition seems super relevant as we slowly emerge from the pandemic. We've all been in a massive transition across the across the globe. As the ongoing impacts of the great resignation or the great reshuffle keep reverberating through the economy and the nonprofit sector as a subset of that, feeling all those transitions too. And we are also, I think, finally in the much anticipated generational transition as boomers retire and new leaders step into the limelight. If these interview clips intrigued you and you want to go back and listen to the full episodes from each of the people we featured today, Elizabeth Wolfe's episode is episode 12, Carlin Madden's is 27, Andy Robinson is episode 21, and Don Tebby is episode 32. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find the full transcript as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I want to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as April Coaster of 100 Ninjas for her production support. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a colleague or a friend. We really appreciate you helping us get the word out. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and to make an impact.